0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/wondery and
0: use code Wondery for twenty percent off your first purchase.
1: Now entering nerdist.com.
0: Tonight, my guest is the astrophysicist in charge of the Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, which is probably due to the fact that he's got this giant brain in his head. He has a B.A. in physics from Harvard, a Ph.D. in astrophysics from Columbia, and did his postdoctoral research at Princeton. He's also the host of the podcast TV show Star Talk, which I've done, as well as Cosmos, a space-time odyssey, which, if you're paying attention, was the successor to Carl Sagan's iconic 1980 series, Cosmos, A Personal Voyage. His latest book is called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Right here, Uh, it's bite-sized, but uh, still will feel like a full meal by the time you're done eating it. Recently, he was the first American scientist to receive the Stephen Hawking Medal for Science Communication. He really does make science fun and accessible. He's an incredible communicator, and I am very proud to uh, call him a friend. He is your personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse (laughs) Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tonight, we'll be talking with Chris Hardwick. Welcome to Tyson with Chris Hardwick. Uh, we've heard you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, using Talking. I'm going to read your questions and comments uh, using the hashtag TalkingHardwick. We're going to look at some video messages, and we have a ton. By the way, Neil Tyson had more uh, viewer questions from social media than any guest we've ever had on before. This pleases me, uh, because this is all about science. and Tonight, our studio audience is going to get to ask some of those questions as well. But first, ladies and gentlemen, Neil deGrasse Tyson! <laughs> This is, I know this is going to sound very trivial, but your cover has a very pleasing
1: uh, uh, texture to it as when well. When you touch the cover, you don't want to put it down. You no, you don't. It feels it. really good. Yeah, it has. it's something tactile about it. It's I, some magic surface that the publishers put on it. It is
0: magic. Everything's right. magic. Let's talk about magic. Let's talk about mm-hmm. science. Is it strange that, you know, As I, we started to have this conversation backstage and we realized, well, wait, save it for the stage. But the idea that we always assume that the more time that passes, the more advanced we become, the more, the more evolved we become as a species. And yet, it really feels like we are going through a period of regression. Do you, I mean, do you, do you feel sometimes like, do I really have to explain this shit to you guys?
1: The Earth is not flat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well, okay, done. civilization... Is not without precedent in this regard. This is how you got the Dark Ages, where people mysteriously looked upon the Roman arches and the roads and the aqueducts, not knowing how any of that came to be. This is lost knowledge. It is unless you become good caretakers of knowledge and wisdom and insight and foresight, then a society can regress. You just hope it doesn't regress back to the cave. We have to start it all over again. Right. You hope someone carries the torch because it can rise and fall in different parts of the world, different cultures, different religions, different um, attitudes. You'd hope somebody maintains it even if others fail. Right. So. Uh, there might be some countries where there isn't a flat-earth movement. <laughs> I, 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 have, I don't know. But maybe there have always been flat-earthers. But now with the Internet, you can find every other flat-earther that's out there. Sure. You just put in the search, and it'll find you. Right. You gather together, and you're given the false sense of affirmation. Of course. That what you're thinking is true. So so maybe it's not worse that's just more visible, right? Well, I, and
0: and the really frightening thing is that because of the internet, uh, you can essentially create any reality that you want, and that will be true for you because
1: it ultimately protects the most difficult armor to break, which is someone's core beliefs. The core beliefs. So here's the problem: I think the internet just landed in our laps, kind of, right. in the late nineties, two thousands, and without the tandem tools to. To, to navigate information. Right. Because what was education before then, it was, uh, I've said this in different ways, but I still believe it, you we, we go to school and they unzip your head mm-hmm. and they pour knowledge in and then 12 years later, they zip you back up, slap a diploma and say you are educated. <laughs> and in there, there is no effort to teach you how to process information, how to analyze, how to question knowledge, how to turn data into information, information into knowledge, and knowledge into wisdom. Mm-hmm. This takes brain effort. Hard. It's harder to do that than to memorize. And so without these tandem tools, I think we are victims of the Internet rather than the Internet being the servant that we had always imagined it to be.
0: Well, it, I mean, it, in one sense, is the Internet is a servant, but it's also it also sometimes feels like You know the 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 keeper of an opium den. We're all just in there, just kind of like, just kind of smoking whatever bullshit we feel like absorbing and putting into our brains and putting into our bodies without anyone to really. I mean, (laughs) I hate to say this, but it feels like not everyone can be entirely trusted with this information. Yeah,
1: yeah, but I think that was always true. There was always misinformation or disinformation, especially in wartime. There you have propaganda. So. It's just uh, on another level, yes, but I don't think it's without precedent. Sure. So there are things we can learn from the past. Uh, and, and I hate to give the, the, the hackneyed answer to this, but it's about education. It's about how equipped is your mind to exist in this world that we have just created and, 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 and surrounded you with. And so I, I think there's hope. I mean, I have more hope than others do, <laughs> perhaps. I'll give you an example. If people Oh, the world is more violent than ever before. Actually, that's an objectively false statement. Mm -hmm. And I did the math on this. You go back to the Second World War, 1939 to 1945. Do the math, and you will find out that over that six-year period, 1,000 people per hour died from the Second World War. Oh, my God. Per hour. Now, if a few people die in a country around the world, it's headlines all around. The fact that that's headlines and it wasn't that kind of headline 70 years ago, sure. is evidence that we're in a safer world. However devastating and however shocking and upsetting these deaths are, there were periods in Earth's history, recent history, where we were much more violent to one another collectively. Sure. And so I try to celebrate how much more peaceful we are and how much more fun-loving we are as a world right. compared with days gone by.
0: Well, I, I've, I've been holding on to this theory, uh, which I haven't... Call it hypothesis.
1: I, I there's, hypothesis. There's the theory of gravity. Theory yes. of, and then there's Chris's theory. Yes. Right, no. Yes, yes. No. By the way. Okay. I am... <laughs> so, just I'm, I'm, throw... trying to, I'm trying to split the... the Trying to keep the vocabulary... Split it
0: all you want. I, I, am, I am honored to have a Dr. T Smackdown. Uh, because that, that puts me in company with the, with the greats, the, the James Camerons of the world, who got the, Smackdown. who got the stars wrong in Titanic. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah. But the... the so this, hi, this hypothesis that, um, that our brains aren't necessarily evolved... To process all the information that the that the speed of technology is is throwing at it at all times.
1: Okay, I, I'm not convinced of that. I think we have a highly malleable brain. Uh, I think what was a future shock back in the 1970s by Alvin uh, Toughner. Uh,
0: Tuffner, right? Uh, yeah. Tuffler. Okay. Good. So
1: it was a concern that. Society had many concerns, but one of them was society was moving fast and our brains evolved off the plains of the Serengeti or whatever, would not be capable of accommodating it. I think any older person steeped in new technology feels that way about the new technology. There is nobody 25 and under that's saying... What am I going to do with all this information? Oh, my gosh. I am old. No! They said, that's just life. I got got two kids right in that zone. You only just got married. So shut up and listen. Okay. Okay? (laughs) I got... (laughs) Okay? Yes, dear. Oh, yes. Yes, dear. So, so... I can complain about whatever is overwhelming about modern technology, and they are born into it and know nothing else. And they will take charge with this new understanding and their new capacity to access and manipulate that information.
0: Okay, I I do agree with what you're saying. But to to expand on the point, I think the reason that I don't think that we're entirely equipped to handle this is it's not an overwhelming sense of it's too much. I just think people shortcut too much. So this is what we were talking about before. People, because they're trying to process so much all day long, will just see a few words of something and go, I have a complete understanding about the inherent nature of this thing, and that is it. I right. am convinced this is the truth, without really seeking the truth, sourcing it, seeing if it, if, if,
1: if it tracks. Yeah, uh, we're, not, I, we're not candid enough about how much we actually don't know. Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. We, we need to be honest and celebrate ignorance on a certain level. So as a scientist... Uh, Well, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) let me explain, okay? (laughs) So it's not a matter of I'm ignorant and I enjoy it. It's I have found pockets of ignorance in my portfolio of knowledge. Sure. As a scientist, I am attracted to that. Mm -hmm. And I say, what is it that I don't understand? Let me patch that hole. Right. And by the way, that doesn't make a complete um, world. Because what happens is as the area of your knowledge grows, so too does the perimeter of your ignorance. Of course. Yes, because that is the boundary between what's inside the circle that you know and what's outside the circle that and is you And questions yet. lead to more questions. Exactly. You have yep. a new place to stand. There are questions you didn't even dream of previously because you didn't have the place to stand to even know that that was a question to ask. Right. We need to celebrate that. We need to learn as the... Uh, The German poet, um, Rainer Maria Rilke, in one of his poems, wrote, uh, Learn to love the questions themselves. Enjoy the process, essentially. Enjoy the process. Which sounds better? <laughs> Enjoy the process or learn. Did this phrase "learn to love the questions themselves" really need translation? I just for any did it did it did did, did, did Neil, poetic... for any robots who are watching that don't
0: understand poetry. I needed to make it clear to them if Data that is, is a watching.
1: poetic a phrase as has ever been uttered. Oh, you mean we have to like the process? Okay, yes. Thank you for clarifying the poetic point. <laughs> just
0: take poetry and then just distill it to... So, uh, just stick it in, right? That's what this is about? Just stick it in? That's it.
1: That's, the whole, That's all. That's the it. Just stick it in. But the... Uh, uh, the tree, it's beautiful. You don't need a whole poem to Yeah, tell come that. on. You know, whatever. It's, uh, Joyce yes. Kilmer was just wasting her time.
0: Yeah. Hey, I, I would have renamed that Leaves and shit. Come on. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> just trying to distill this as much as possible. Have you heard... There's something that I don't... I will not shut up about because I'm so fascinated by the study. Are you familiar with the Dunning-Kruger
1: studies? Which, what, remind me. The Dunning-Kruger studies... Sorry, let me say... By that name, no. Okay, because mu- I I I tend not to remember names as I much as I remember ideas. You'll understand the yes, concept, right. even
0: mm-hmm. if you didn't know this particular study. You will you will you will recognize the concept. But it is a concept that uh, that for for whatever reason we are psychologically drawn to. Uh, people who, who know less will claim to know more, believe that they are smarter and people who know more will claim that they know less Mm. and that there was a study done. And this was a real, so, you know, when you're arguing with someone on, you know, Reddit or whatever, who is trying to shut you down, like they're an expert and you realize like, oh yeah, this person had knows nothing about aerodynamics This is an abstract example that you're giving. This is a very abstract example. Well, because it happens all the time. So, uh, you know, do, do you believe that, like, how do we get around this barrier of getting around people's egos when they claim that they know something and you know they don't? Do you give up or do you try, try, try to press
1: forward with the truth? I come to this problem from the universe itself. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't want to give it up. No, no, I'm just saying you have a perspective that comes about by studying the universe, and it's a cosmic perspective. Ego and the cosmic perspective are incommensurate notions. Mm-hmm. Because everything you learn about the universe affirms how small you are, right. how insignificant you are, how 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 small you are not only in size, but in time, mm-hmm. in space, in relationship. Significance. Significance. We like to think that we are in charge. Right. Because we're humans and we're intelligent. Well, let me first ask you, who defined that... We are intelligent. We, Of course we did. We did, did of right. course. So yeah. this is a bit of hubris there. Right. Okay? Now we say we're in charge, we are great, and bacteria are nothing. And then I remind you, if, or tell you if you've never known, that one centimeter of your lower colon lives and works more bacteria than the number of humans who have ever been born.
0: Oh, don't blow my mind with stuff like okay, that. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So,
1: so... So to you, a bacteria is the small thing. To the bacterium, you are a darkened vessel of anaerobic fecal matter. <laughs> okay? I'm full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, no, so no matter how high exalted you think you are, from the point of view of bacteria in your gut, you have very limited utility to them. And if you don't treat them right... They will remind you who's in charge, okay? (laughs) All
0: right. So
1: the point is, we need the bacteria to help us digest. The bacteria need us as this vessel of anaerobic fecal matter. And there is the harmony between the two. One is neither greater nor lesser than the other. And this relationship to nature. A cosmic perspective doesn't have to come from the universe. It can come from biology. It can come from chemistry. It can come from basically science that shows that we are a participant in the ecosphere and we're a participant in the great unfolding of cosmic events.
0: Now, see, uh, that is exactly why people love you. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) just being able to take these ideas and not only just present them in a way that is digestible to to non science people but also digestible by the bacteria by the in bacteria inside your- <laughs> who are like more science but also um, just but passion you know like the, like speaking passionately from such an authentic place it's obvious that you live this and you care about it, but you're able to communicate that. So, Because well, I feel it. I can't not feel it. But not everyone can communicate their feelings, particularly with something as uh, empirical,
1: you know? Yeah, okay, so there's, a, there's sometimes a gap between the, the blunt, dispassionate knowledge of something and what impact that can have on you. But I think some things grab at you even if you have defense mechanisms against it. The knowledge that the atoms and the molecules of your body, have were forged in the crucibles of stars that gave their lives at least five billion years ago, scattered that enrichment. This is the thermonuclear fusion up the periodic table from hydrogen to the heavy elements. This happened in the centers of stars. This brings into existence the very atoms that comprise life they make them they explode scatter them into the galaxy into gas clouds that then form next generation star systems one of which was the sun and the sun's family of planets one of which has life and that one with life has humans so that we live in this universe but it is not only figuratively but literally true that the universe lives within us. That's um, I mean, fuck! Come on. Chris, Chris, I, I, forgive me. But I thought you were more literate than that. After this, if, if the first word after that. Is, Fuck yeah, <laughs> <really>. <laughs> Come on. I mean you can't say these things That sound like
0: you know we're in 7th grade smoking pot For the first time and not having to go
1: Shh, God I can't even <laughs> wrap my brain around that but- Okay so now just so you know uh, Just as a point of confession yes, um, I write books So that I never have to Speak of those subjects again <laughs> So all of this The cosmic perspective is in the final Concluding 12th chapter Of this book And it's called Reflections on the Cosmic Perspective. And everything I just said is in in there. It's in this little...
0: But it's in in print, and and it's so so engaging to watch you speak, and I think that's why... Well, that's
1: my challenge as a writer, that you'd be no less engaged reading what I've written than you are (laughs) hearing what I speak. But you also have the same sort of magic that Sagan
0: had, which was a very specific cadence and a very specific way of communicating these ideas that are almost musical... In, in, in their tonality...
1: But admit that we have multiple senses. We do. And you can be tickled, but yes. <laughs> in different ways. Yes. And there might be... Uh, now, you wouldn't want to duplicate exactly one sense with another. It's a different sense. So you feed that sense in the ways that best serve that those neurosynaptic moments. Yes. Now... So here's... So, so here, I'm going to... May I? Please. May I? This is your... Okay. I, uh, now I'm, I'm going to read something I did not write, which are the... The opening quote in... Okay, here it is. Okay, whoop, that's not it. Excuse me. That's all right. Excuse me. You can edit that. We're not live. We can edit this out. Okay. Nope, that's not it. Hold on. By the way, each of these chapters is short, because it's a small book. Yeah. It's a small book. Right. Okay? Whether or not I have large hands, this is a small <laughs> book. Okay?
0: <laughs> just so you know. Um, Let me hold my hand up to that. Your, your the book. book or my hand? Your, your, well, your, your hand. That's comical. I mean, that's just... <laughs> That's just silly. That's just silly. I'm not. I don't.
1: Uh, not a piano guy. Yeah. Aunt, uh, all right. So, so, just this is the a quote that I open the cosmic perspective chapter with. Okay. You didn't know this should be a reading hour. You didn't hear. You didn't know that. Did That's it? okay. Tell you? I think you know. Okay. You're gonna. Yeah. Here it is. These are not my words. Okay. This is a quote. Okay. Of all the sciences cultivated by mankind. Astronomy is acknowledged to be, and undoubtedly is, the most sublime, the most interesting, and the most useful. For, by knowledge derived from this science, not only the bulk of the Earth is discovered, but our very faculties are enlarged with the grandeur of the ideas it conveys, our minds exalted above their low, contracted prejudices." James Ferguson, 1757. Damn! (laughs) 17. Did he know about black holes and nucleosynthesis or the expanding universe or that there was even a galaxy? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yet he was was nonetheless touched by looking up. Well, and and I think that...
0: So this idea, you, you said earlier about when you go to school, you're 12 years, they zip, they put these things in your head and they zip, zip you shut and slap a diploma on you. Did you feel like your school... Like, what was it about your childhood that inspired you to become this great communicator? What, what, was that ingrained in you in, in your own
1: education? No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely what I've seen. Which is... <laughs> So, I'm, I'm much more passive than one might at first glance presume. Okay. So, when I wake up in the morning, I don't ask myself, what is the next way I can bring the universe down to earth? That, that is not a non-thought. I'm thinking, I hope my inbox is empty. <laughs> I hope my, you know, I just want to have a play date with my wife. I just want to sit on the couch with my kids and make popcorn with slightly too much butter. And watch a movie that I've already seen ten times but I really love. Sure. Okay? Or go to the lab or write. What happens is I live in New York City, which is a major news gathering headquarters for so many networks, including CNN, which finally put an office there uh, remote from Atlanta. And so the universe flinches. So I get a call. And I got a call. The first time this happened, 1995, the first exoplanet was discovered. Now, this was banner headline. We now have 3,000 exoplanets. By the way, anyone out there born from 1995 to today, raise your hand. if you're. If you're I, I, I designate you Generation Exoplanet. Nice. Okay? Very good. Very you, good. you have been alive for—you've only known life with the knowledge that there are planets orbiting other stars. So now watch. Uh, so one is discovered—I'm freshly anointed director of the Hayden Planetarium in New York City— mm-hmm. And NBC Nightly News calls up. we'd like to speak to the director. They don't know me from anything, but I have title. Okay. So they wanted to ask about this newly discovered exoplanet. I gave them, they sent the, the camera that afternoon to be edited for the Nightly News. I gave my best professorial reply. I said, there's a Doppler shift, and we measure the spectra, and you can't see the star- the planet. It's too dim compared to the light of the star, so we measure the movement of the star in response to the gravity of the planet. And the star is not... It, uh, the star is not... The star and the planet... The planet does not orbit the star, as you might think. They each orbit a common center of gravity. Okay? So, now, of course... The planets do most of the moving. What does the star do? The star just kind of jiggles around the center of gravity. The center of gravity is inside the star, but it's Very not. Sexy, yeah. it's, it's not at the star's center. Okay. okay. So I do all of this. My best professorial plot. I go home, call everybody. Mom, Dad says I'm going to be on TV, and they check it. And they, all they had of that interview was me doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's television. So I said to myself, okay, they just sound bit me. Mm -hmm. I thought they wanted to hear my lecture in my space. But they want to hear me speak as though I'm in their space. They want sound bites. So from then on, I practiced sound bites. Because I want to be, if, if they come in, I'm not, why not be as good at that as I can of be? Of course. Why not? I agree. So then I practiced. I looked in a mirror, and I, I had people just bark out to me. Black hole, quasar, Saturn, uh, uh, sp- expanding universe. And each one of these, I would construct three or four sentences that were informative, tasty, make you smile, make you smile, and have enough kind of curiosity factor to have you want to share it with someone else.
0: That's an ex- excellent and, hypothesis. <laughs> so, I know, But right?
1: well, it's a goal. You can set it as a goal whether or not you achieve it. Damn it, I still didn't get it right. Well, wait, so, so I started doing that, and then more and more media came to me. And then I realized I'm serving a role here that had not been served before. To this day, I think of myself as a servant Of the curiosity, not only of the media, because that has the greatest reach, but of anybody, even on the street. And so, so I'm, do you say, what did I know I would no. I'm just a servant. And to the extent that I can be better at it, I will. And I learned, and you, you live in this, that my knowledge of pop culture, however large or small and however segmented, is. On a utility belt that I carry on me. And if someone needs to learn about something, I say, I wonder if there's anything in my, util- my pop culture utility belt that I can clad onto their scaffold. To make them understand. To make them understand. Of course. Okay? To, in any pathway in and through. And it's not dumbing down. No one ever accused me of dumbing down. And this, people say, astrophysics for people in a hurry? Was Astrophysics for Dummies already taken as a title? Well, first of all, yes, that title was taken. But <laughs> second, question, question. no, no. But this is real astrophysics. It's just if you're in a hurry and you got to parcel it out to, uh, to make that happen. So that's what I've been doing. And thanks for noticing. But that's that's what I've been doing. And I've been thinking about the universe since I was nine years old.
0: And but but were you in an educational environment that fostered the, this this curiosity?
1: Well, no. You know what happened? I'm one of those kids who just simply never lost their curiosity. That's kind of what a scientist is. A grown-up kid who remains as curious as they were as children, but they just have more expensive tools to serve that curiosity. And on top of that, the, you know, what do we do? I've said this before. You, you know, you'd spend a year teaching your kids to walk and talk. Then you spend the rest of their lives telling them to shut up and sit down. All right? So I think we get our curiosity beaten out of us. It's a matter of not how do we create it, it's how do we not lose it in the first place. And what do we do to ensure that, especially with our I'll our give you an example. Extra, no, so, do no. you, you have kids yet or not? Not yet. Wait, no. Not yet, okay. The, the, maybe they're in the horizon. We just got
0: married. We gotta, I, know, I know, not we got to
1: live, man! Okay. All right. Um. <laughs> the act of having just been married would not have precluded you already having had kids. That's true. Just this is the 21st century. That's just very true. You know, yes, yes. We would think no less of you if you were living in sin before <laughs> I, you got married. I appreciate
0: that. Right. Oh no, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> Dr. Tyson, we certainly wouldn't—we certainly wouldn't uh, bespoil the values of our 7,500-year-old planets uh, and how we were all created. My wife was made from a rib in my body. Exactly, and, uh, exactly. That's, that's how it all worked. And, and she would later
1: talk to snakes. She'd yeah, talk yeah. to snakes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so. Well, not—not not one snake after we got married. No. <laughs> So, now
1: I forgot what I was talking about. You're talking about well, kids, and you tell Kids, them to- yes, here you go, here you go. So, um, the first three years of a child's life, I would say two-thirds of their curiosity would kill them if you didn't intervene as a parent. Sure. Okay, but that's how profound their curiosity is. It's, well, what is the edge of this cliff? Right. Or what is this thing you call a knife? I wonder what it does. They're mapping the world. They're mapping the world, and most of it will kill them. So, your job is so... Th- Make sure they don't die. Right. Okay? But that doesn't mean you have to stop their curiosity entirely. Sure. When they're four years old and they can just reach the kitchen counter, and there's an egg there that you're going to make an omelet out of that morning. (laughs) Most parents will say, put down the egg, don't touch it. It's not what we did in my household. Just let them grab it. You know this will end badly. Okay? (laughs) Okay? But it will end with lessons. Because an eggshell is hard... But brittle, right? Okay, it's hard, hard, hard but fragile. In most hard things in our lives are not fragile, right? So this is a combination of properties that is rare. So they play with the egg and it rolls, and then of course the egg breaks. Now there's like gooey stuff in it. All right, what is that? There's this. This is transparent. This is yellow. So they learn there's something unexpected inside this shell. Then you tell the kid, that might have been a chicken. (laughs) That freaks him out. Okay? Wait, wait. Then you take it, you take another egg, open it up, scramble it, and then heat it, and then it becomes solid by heating it. Yeah. Think about that. I am. Most, (laughs) most, most things liquefy when you, if you heat ice, it does, if you heat water, it doesn't become solid; it evaporates. Evaporates. You heat egg; it becomes solid. This is an entire. Uh, this is this is a, a baptism <laughs> in scientific inquiry that you just squash because you didn't want to lose a twenty-five cent egg. Sure. And I'm saying the education that derives from it. Is worth vastly more than twenty five so cents. So break some eggs. The president of Harvard once said, after someone complained about the cost of education, he said, "If you think the cost of education is so high, try the cost of ignorance." Oh,
0: damn! Ooh. Still very expensive. Still, still very like- expensive. College <laughs> is still very expensive. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I was at a, a, par- a party, like an afternoon barbecue once, and um, this. People had a three- or four-year-old, and there was a medicine ball, and the kid saw the medicine ball and immediately was like, oh, ball, and went to pick it up and couldn't because it was heavy.
1: Oh, and because it, balls that big were beach balls. They were like beach balls, yeah, yeah.
0: and it free—his brain broken half because up to that—and <laughs> watching a human being's worldview completely upend, he did not
1: know how to process it. it. This is experiential data— that is the product of curiosity. Now imagine we were all that curious long after school. What happens, you can picture this, if it was not yourself, the last day of high school, okay, Yep. and you run down the steps, the people toss their notes in the air, school's out! Right. And I'm thinking, what are you celebrating? That <laughs> you don't have to learn? As your only job in life to learn? Are you celebrating not learning? So you know what's missing? Kids love hearing that the day of graduation, Okay, the 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 K through 12? Yeah. K through 12, somewhere in there, we should teach, if you've lost it, we should teach curiosity. So that on the last day of school... People walk dejectedly down the steps, <laughs> and say, "What? I have to go three months and not learn anything? Oh, I'm sad.
0: That'll be the day I look forward to." Well, I think you just lost most of the people here <laughs> on that But, uh, but uh, this idea of teaching people why it's important to be curious and how how to be curious and why it why it's necessary uh, in, in our culture because it's it is very disheartening that that knowledge. I I, I do feel like now more than when I was growing up, because I feel like knowledge seekers when I was growing up or probably when you were growing up were were not, you know, it was like, ah, those dumb nerds. I feel like the real signal that nerds have won is because when I was growing up, the insult was you're a nerd. And now I feel like the new insult is fake nerd. You know what I mean? It's like the imposter nerd. And that to me is a symbol of of like, oh, wow, we really are are embracing
1: knowledge and the power. No, no, it's not. Don't. Don't kid yourself. Okay. No, no, what you said is true, yeah. but I, I think my answer is correct, and your, my reason for that is correct, and your reason for that is not. Okay. Okay? Because uh, I've tracked this. Okay, good. Uh, so let's call it nerd stock value. Okay. Okay? Great. When I was in high school, I, I'm a little older than you, but okay. I was in high school, uh, I was in high school before, just in the transition from slide rules. To four-function calculators. Okay. Okay. In that transition, four-function calculator dropped from two hundred dollars to like thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. So now you couldn't justify buying a slide rule. But in my high school, I went to a nerdy high school. You'd walk down the the, the corridor, and your the, your slide rule holster. You know, whoever had the biggest slide rule. You know, you just. <laughs> you know, that's who who won the day. But that's because it was a nerdy high school. Now watch. Nerds would get slammed into the lockers by the football quarterback, and we were never popular, and we always made fun of, four eyes, and you get wedgied and all the right. We started gaining currency when computers became household items, and you needed a nerd as a friend To help you run your computer and to fix it when it went wrong. Right. And if you alienated all your nerds, you could not run your computer. Right. And so stock value of nerds rose. And it rose so significantly that we then could make our own companies and create product that non-nerds needed. I agree. That non-nerds wanted. Right. And we rose up, and so now the patron saint of nerds, is the richest person in the world? Yes, you add. You add. And so, so, yeah. so we, we bought our seat at the relevance table.
0: We took it. We took that seat. Yeah, I used to have a joke in my act about it. I would say, uh, "Nerds make the shiny
1: things that control the mouth breathers." Like that's,
0: <laughs> like that's that, that that's why it
1: is. That's why it right. is. Right. So we. So I. And now there's I. So the, the the balance of power has shifted. For that, I think for that reason, we're, we're not just because oh, everyone decided to embrace nerds. Right. No, that was not an. No, cars,
0: it, but we definitely grabbed that. I mean, yes. it was there was definitely a confluence with the technology yes. that would, that now controls you know is that yes. stratum of our culture. But
1: we. So you I think like was, the singular use of strata, stratum. It is very yeah. good. Yeah, four years of Latin. Four years of Latin. Four bump. years of <laughs> Latin. <laughs> never never well, leaves you. When well, I got another one, but um, a single item. On an agenda is an agendum.
0: Oh, damn, I'm going to drop that and have people look at me weird. Agendum. Yeah. <laughs> What's on my agenda? You mean your agenda? I'll show myself out. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's on my agenda. I'm leaving. Uh-huh. Uh But uh, uh, the surgery for that agenda that you need removed. That's right. Your, I have uh, to get rid of it.
0: <laughs> Where, did, did you find? You said you went to a nerdy high school, but did you find it that? It's called the Bronx High School. Science. The Bronx Science. High
1: School of Science. We have eight Nobel laureates among our graduates. Damn. Seven of whom are in physics. Oh my God. Uh, two of them were classmates. Two of those seven. Talk about dropping your nerd dick on the table. <laughs> that, is, that just made up. I'm a, just saying. That just made up. No, I'm just saying. And that's as many Nobel prizes as the country of Spain. <laughs> just <laughs> take that Spain. <laughs> <laughs> take that, Ibiza. I'm just saying. Yeah. But okay. Did you did you were, were... so oh, so in the nerd? Here's just a, you didn't ask, sure. but it might be interesting to learn sure. that. In, in this high school, always interesting to learn. There's the same split of clicky, are you cool or are you not, okay? So they're, they're, there's the jock nerds and then the nerd nerds. Yes. It's just the same spread. It's just shifted to the nerd side. Of course. Okay? So the jock nerds are, like, cooler than the nerd nerds but the jockner can recite pi to 30 decimal places instead of 1,000. Right. Okay? Right. So that's the difference. <laughs> right. So it was just kind of cool. To, and in that world, you think it's normal until you step off the, the high school campus and you realize you were in a bubble. Were educators support, were, other, were teachers, were people supportive of your career in science? Uh, so in that school, you can't not be that because sure. we're all there with this kind of ambition. Of course. Uh, but teachers, no, I was not noticed as... Oh, he'll go far. I was never one of those. Because my grades were just kind of average. And t- we live in a system, an educational system, where the teacher's judgment of you flows not through your ambitions or your personality or your your curiosity. It flows through what grade they gave you right. on your test. If you got high grades, oh, he'll go far. Right. Because that is the measure of things. But you go to any tech entrepreneur, anybody who has shaped the world in we live, and ask, did you get straight A's? I didn't finish college. I dropped out. <laughs> I, I, Bill Gates dropped out of college. Zuckerberg dropped out of college. Michael Dell dropped out of college. Uh, um, um, what about Elon? Did Elon drop out of college? Elon, bear, I, he, I interviewed him and I asked him. He did not finish college? He might have gone back. He but probably just went, he was like, I didn't finish college, so I just
0: built one. All right, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> gave myself a, I gave degree, myself a degree. Gave and, myself and a degree. degree, yeah.
1: So, there's some ossification, some, maybe not ossification, some some uh, uh, constraining uh, avenues of free thought may be constrained by going to a schools of formal education all the way. Sure. Because they're going to teach you things that have already been studied and already known. And where's the complete free thought where no one has ever thought this up before? Where's the class I can get an A in for thinking the way no one has ever thought before? There isn't one. Right. So... So uh, maybe we need a school system that measures your curiosity plus your ambition. Well, I think in the end, that might weigh more than how high was the grade that you got on that exam.
0: I agree. And I, I do think that is where the Internet is useful and helpful is finding these communities where you can be challenged by peers, challenged by people who, you know, if you're clearly blowing the bell curve or you're clearly not connecting with whatever your, you know, immediate group is. that you don't fit in. F- yeah, finding the group. The, the internet has allowed people to find the communities in which they, in which they fit in. Um, there's a, I still have so much more I want to talk to you about, and then the audience has questions. When we come back, audience members are going to step up. We're going to talk a little more. We're going to hear from you guys at home. Remember, if you want to be part of the show, we're at Talking on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and you'll find exclusive updates about upcoming guests. And uh, we want you to use the hashtag TalkingHard because it is a hashtag culture, and uh, that is the currency that uh, television networks enjoy seeing. Uh November- no matter what, though, we want you to be a part of the conversation. We'll talk more with Neil in just a bit. <laughs> Welcome back to Talk of the My guest is Neil deGrasse Tyson.
1: Uh, I assume you you I want to tell you, I love what you've done with the place. yes, the we role.
0: we we tailored it
1: we tailored it to you to you. We and, wanted and to make b- you feel at home. Before the show is over, I will want to know. Why there are five hands embedded in Don't driftwood worry about it. Don't worry about it. And one of us holding the Earth and their sat. I just need to understand that. not now, but at some point before I leave <laughs> We believe that tiny hands hold up all the planets. Is this about <laughs> <what it's- laughs>
0: Now this is a holdover from *Talking Dead*. Okay. This is, this is, this is, these are just—it's just like a weird *Walking Dead* thing okay. that we've had on every episode of every talking show we've ever gotcha. done. Gotcha. So, so if you leave
1: the planet, then that'll be a residue of *Talking with Neil*. That's right. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. *Talking Tyson*. *Talking Tyson*. Uh, yeah.
0: But uh, I, I assume you must have hung out with Dr. Sagan.
1: Briefly, I—you know—people have mis—they've overinterpreted the few things I've said about my encounters with him... Sure. ...on the level of saying that he was my mentor, which comes with implications that were just not true. A mentor is someone you spend time with and mm-hmm. helps guide you and uh, advises on next steps. I was probably in the same room with Carl Sagan five times in my life. and So not billions not billions. billions. and billions and But uh, there were two significant times. My first encounter and my last encounter were significant. And... Uh, But, yeah, I mean, he was all that. Why were they significant? Well, the first one, you you meet the guy. Even before Cosmos, he was famous. Mm -hmm. He was doing media that was not looked highly upon by the academic elite. He did Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show. Oh, you're a scientist. You belong in the lab. That's a comedy. What are you doing? And so he took some flack for that. But more people learn about science than ever before. Johnny Carson became a fan of his, a fan of science, Uh, He became a a leading skeptic. So it had return on that investment that no one else had foreseen. Surely Carl knew that and, and predicted everything that would come out of it. So there's that. My last encounter was his 60th birthday party at Cornell University. And there's dinner. And there are these testimonials and letters. And they're reading these letters. And... There's no way any human being could be that sainted. And there's, there's, there's a letter from a boy in a village in Africa who got a tape and borrowed a television and needed electricity from the next town and watched it and transformed him, and now he became a scientist. There's somebody else. And this goes on for like an hour, and I'm thinking, No! No. No. And it's not even like he's dead. You do that when you're dead. Right. Right, You say right. He's alive and he's sitting right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And so after that, we go to a, a venue where he gives a public talk, not only for all the party guests, but for the rest of the public. He gives a talk that to this day is the greatest scientific talk I have ever seen. And it is a talk to which I aspire, as an educator, as a scientist, as a, as someone who has access to the public. Um, it was just stunningly clear, and crisp, and enlightening, and 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 it left you one in in wonder of not only what we know about the universe, but what we have yet to discover. And at the end of this, I said, "There it is. This man has deserved every bit of accolade." that unfolded in that room in that, in, over dinner that preceded this lecture. So those two moments, I said, yes, he is all that. And my, in my first encounter, he met me. I'd applied to colleges. And I was accepted at Cornell, where he was a professor. And I was still trying to decide. I didn't know that the admissions office sent my application to him to get his opinion. He wrote a letter directly to me. So here, you've accepted. Uh, if you want to come tour the campus, I'll be happy to show you. I'll show you my lab. Well, he wrote a letter to me. Wow. I'm a 17-year-old kid from nowhere. I'm from somewhere, but I'm not from... I'm not, why should right. he know anything right. Right, about me or anything? So I showed this to my mother and said, yeah, let's do it. So I took a bus up to Ithaca. It was snowing. It was in the winter. He met me outside of the lab, invited me into the office. Oh, my God. And he's sitting at his desk. I'm sitting there and... He reaches back, I'll never forget, he reached, didn't even look, reached back, pulled out a book, it was one of his books, and then he signed it to me. I said, that is gangster. <laughs> if you, if you, if you don't even have to look, just pick a book from back there, it's going to be a book that you happen to write. And he signed it to me, he said to a future astronomer, um, to Neil Tyson, future astronomer, Carl Sagan. And I still have that book, of course. Um, And he he gives me the tour and we're done. He drives me back to the bus station. The snow gets a little heavier. And he says, here's my home phone. If, If the bus can't get through, call, spend the night with my family, return tomorrow. And I'm thinking to myself, if I am ever remotely this famous, I will treat a next generation of people this, no differently from how he treated me. And I, I joke about this. I'd be in my office, um, you know, uh, Barack, I got to go now because I got a student. You know, <laughs> call me later. I'm busy, all right? I got a student coming. So, so it shaped what kind of a scientist I ultimately became just from that one encounter. And I always knew I wanted to do the universe. I always knew that even before I knew of Carl Sagan. So that's, in that sense, it's not like he led me from lost ways in the Bronx to, no, it's none of that. Right. It's not that romanticized. But these two moments, one of them affirmed what kind of a person I wanted to be, my final encounter with him, he would die two years later, um, affirmed that he deserved not only all the praise he's gotten, but even more, using words I would not know how to put together because he transcended my capacity to praise.
0: Well, uh, we have audience members who are going to ask questions. (laughs) What is your name? Hi, my name is Robert. I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Excellent. What is your question? Um, So in the mythical world of
1: Game of Thrones, they are known for their, like, long or irregular seasons. I was just wondering what would cause that in real life. Uh, So our seasons come about not from our distance to the sun, which does vary. Mm -hmm. We're not in a perfectly circular orbit around the sun. We're uh, in an oval and we spend some months closer to the sun than others. We are closest to the sun the first week of January. Okay. If you must know. So now, there are other effects. If you... Earth wobbles, takes a long time, 26,000 years, to complete a wobble. So now imagine this cosmic ballet with pirouetting planets and movements choreographed by the forces of gravity. And we have a planet altering its distance from its host star. A planet tilted on its axis and wobbling. If you combine these, you can surely construct a planet where the winter comes once every however long, and when it comes, it's severe, and you've only heard about it in legend, but you gotta then prepare for it or think about it or have it occupy your planning. Game of Thrones is a single uh, star system, correct? Okay, un- unless there's one they haven't told you about that they'll that's involved.
0: Yeah, but that's my theory is still that at the
1: very hypothesis. last episode hypothesis kind of- <laughs> clear with Einstein's theory of gravity, Chris's theory of
0: Game of Thrones. You know, so. this, this is such a good hypothesis, I think you'll instantly upgrade it to a theory. Okay. <laughs> the last episode, you're going to find out that it's just one of the other worlds in the Westworld universe.
1: Oh, that'd
0: be bad. That'd be amazing. Yeah. He's going to go home later and go, did he answer your question? I don't
1: know. No, <laughs> no it's a great question. But but I, you back on. Oh, I, I do have, have this
0: very special tie
1: oh, for you. It's okay. Oh, it's a present. Okay.
0: Let's see if I can get this on. There you go. Thank you for asking you. your question. Let's get that up there. Okay, perfect. And and I feel like this has become a fun part of your job, where maybe it's kind of an onerous task every time a sci-fi movie comes out and people are like, is it real or lightsabers? Can they be a thing? I can used that to be tweet
1: a... about this, and then... Some people got so angered and so... I find off. that hard to believe on no, the Internet. Uh, <laughs> My, and I, I, as I said earlier, now you have to make sure you keep that edit. As I said earlier in this show, I'm a servant of people's curiosity. Mm-hmm. So if by posting a tweet, if it annoys you, I don't have to post the tweet. These tweets, I don't... Think hard about what I'm gonna tweet next? These are thoughts I'm having anyway while I'm sitting there watching the damn movie. Also, <laughs> hey, hey, bitch at home, you don't have to follow him.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of people being like, well, I don't
1: appreciate that tweet. You don't have to read it! <laughs> you could occupy your attention in a million other ways. So I pull back, because I don't I don't need to annoy people. I I thought I shared what I thought were perceptive observations of where a movie might have gotten the science wrong when they thought they got it right. Right. But where they got the science right, where they made no other attempt to get it right at all.
0: So what is the most scientifically accurate sci-fi movie you've ever seen?
1: Uh, I would say, well, The Martian, of course, by far. Okay. He really thought this through Andy Weir. And may I? May may I boast? Please. Okay, I had Andy Weir on Star Talk, my Uh radio show, uh, uh, and TV and podcast. And he said when he was writing The Martian, he was imagining I was looking over his shoulder. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were, were going to. Because <laughs> you were going to. He didn't want this stuff to come back again at him on Twitter. Okay. So that's why he, he made sure his math was tight. So this is good. But here's an example. Uh, there is no, there's no accurate science in Star Wars. So don't come to me and say, could this happen? Could it? Just, just give up. Well, just, just sit back. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. Wait, so, so, here's, here's an issue I want to take with it, okay? Yes, please. Are you listening? I'm all ears. Are you listening? They're listening. Okay, television land people, are you listening? No. Okay, Okay, so now watch. In The Force Awakens, they figured, let's up the stakes a bit and have the Death Star suck all the energy out of a star. Okay. Now it can destroy more than one planet Mm -hmm. at a time. Yep. Okay. This is evil magnified. And so how many planets could it just be? Like six planets all at once, simultaneously. Excuse me? Okay? If you take all the energy out of a star so that the star completely disappears and that energy is in your vessel, first you will become that star. But let's figure out, let's assume that super insulating blankets for it, okay? Okay, so fine. Do you realize that is enough energy? to destroy a thousand planets? They didn't do this math. Had they done the math, it could have been a more of I an mean, even badass star-killer. Planet killer. Okay? Oh, my so God. don't tell me that real science is holding you back. No. Real science is grander than even the limits of your own imagination. Damn, suck on that, J.J.
0: I'm just saying. Well, also...
1: Don't get me start. You got me start. I know. I did. I'm so. I'm hold so me sorry. Back. You're swinging. We gotta hold them back. And, and I got some in 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 the movie. What's the one with the octopus? Um, Arrival. The septopus. Arrival. The, the cephalopods. So the, yeah. yeah. The septopus cephalopod. Yes. I think it only had seven. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Okay. Which is a little harder because generally in nature, things divide. So you go from one to two to four. But to seven. Eight. Seven is just a little weird, but that's fine. Maybe one of them was a the reproductive organ. I'll, I'll give it to him. Okay. Yeah, so you got to make sure you know which one to shake. <laughs> 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 don't you saying. want to take me to dinner first? Right, right. Like, Oh, you want to shake yeah, this an one. alien comes and there's an appendage. Don't reach for it first because you, you don't know what, what part of its anatomy you're yeah, shaking. Yeah, that could be very rude. Very rude. very rude. So, so in it, first...
0: I, wouldn't I have... did not consent to this. <laughs> <laughs> Please release my sex organ. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. Why would aliens be speaking like a robot? Because they're okay. robot aliens. Okay, Fun. my saying. hypothesis is that they're robot aliens. I'm just saying. Okay. You know what it reminds me of? What? In my day, I'm old enough so that I remembered when the dance The Robot first came out. Yes. Right. So, so you do The Robot, yep. you know. Yep. Okay? But now it. robots move fluidly. They do. So I said to my son, we had a dance called the robot, and he says, "Yeah, so what, is, what does that mean?" <laughs> and I had <have> to explain <laughs> that robots used to have jerky movement, they do, yeah. but now robots can, you know. They
0: do. By the way, that, that you doing that is the only thing we're going to use in this entire.
1: Not the single way. So uh, wait... Oh, the cephalopod, and so it's communicating with them with these sort of uh, rune symbols, whatever sure. these, these circular things. But no one asked whether the cephalopod was drawing its messages backwards. <gasps> Damn! Because he's drawing it on a transparent it glass, is. and they're receiving it as though that is forward information. That's correctly drawn.
0: Well, then that whole movie was all about uh, the experience of that time was a part of their language, that time was a part of the way that they communicate. Yeah, yeah,
1: but okay, I'm just saying that that was not a point that was raised. No one asked <laughs> in that moment, is this backwards, and should we be looking at this in a mirror? Can I pitch you an idea? Well, one more thing. So, 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 <laughs> for, forgive me. Uh, I know you touched on the, 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 for, for, the, the Corvette, the Corvette. Cofefe? cofefe. Yeah, I know you did that on your, Co- on on your thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I saw a meme. Where it's, got, <laughs> it's got the astronauts coming up to the cephalopod, and they're holding up Cofefe to it. Cofefe.
0: To see if there's,
1: there's some that. way to, to gain insight to this. I plus, that. I would not have sent a, a a theoretical physicist plus a linguist. I just wouldn't have done that. I would have... I would have an anthropo- anthropological linguist. I would have sent... A, a, a code-breaking cryptographer, okay, and an astrobiologist. I don't know where they were coming from, sending a <laughs> <laughs> fucking movie fail. No, total fail. I'm
0: telling you, this is why I think you need to create a show called um, Mystery, Tyson, Mystery Tyson Theater 3000, where 4,000, 4, 4, where you basically just watch a movie and go. Now hold on. And the whole time you're just correct. That'll be my silhouette behind. I'm telling the you, movie. people would watch a show no, of that. No, no. Let's uh, let's take a video of
1: My name is Kristen, and I live in Lanesburg, Michigan. My question is, would you consider running for president on a ticket with Bill Nye in 2020? The second part of that question would be, how do you think this country would benefit from having a scientist behind the wheel? Okay. uh, No. Okay. Okay. Next question. (laughs) No, no, no. So, first, I'm flattered that she would think of this, uh, think of me and and my very good friend, Bill Nye, in this way. Uh, My concern is she's thinking that all you have to do is swap leaders out one for another, and all is well. When the fact is, and let's take Trump, for example, he is president of the United States. You, if you take him out and give him another job, there's still the matter of the 60 million people who voted for him. You have not solved that aspect of your concerns. Sure. As an educator, to me, it's not about the elected official. It's about the people doing the voting. Sure. And so it's incumbent upon all educators to educate people so that first they don't vote against their own interest mm-hmm. and that if they want to vote for example to pull out of the Paris accord that they do so with full awareness that humans are warming the planet and they're just choosing to not care that's a different problem from someone not knowing what the consequences will be sure so so as an educator i'd rather educate people to know and understand what science is and how and why it works then no matter who they vote into office is going to be scientifically literate and it wouldn't have to be me and bill
0: all right excellence uh, who wants to be president anyway the job sounds like a drag let's take another question from the audience hi i'm carol from brazil um i have a question um how and when do you think the earth is gonna die and do you think humans will have colonized another planet by then Boy, Hawking is really adamant about this one. Uh We have 100 years left, he says. (laughs) Uh,
1: So, she said Earth. Earth. Earth as a planet will be here until the sun dies. Earth doesn't care a rat's ass if we're on it or not. It was here before there was life. It will be here long after life of all stripes has gone extinct. What will happen is the sun, in its final stages of its formation of energy in its core, it will begin to run out of energy. One of the consequences of this is that it will begin to expand and turn red. It will become a red giant star. It will become so large it will engulf the entire orbits of Mercury, Venus, and Earth itself. To the point where Earth becomes this charred ember as it descends into this stellar abyss, eventually vaporizing into a puff of smoke.
0: I always think about that when I say, should I get an extra cupcake and go,
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <I'll> <laughs> you know, the sun is going to turn into a red giant. Now, now, so you have two options. You either figure out how to control the sun. If there's, there's a way to do that because a lot of the fuel it never accesses. It's got fuel tanks it doesn't use. If you cycle fuel down to the center where all the action is, you can prolong the life to a tr- the life of the sun from 10 billion years to a trillion years. No problem. So... Our geoengineering efforts would have to rise to become stellar engineering, mm-hmm. It's controlling the star. I don't know how you do that, but that's what you would have to do. If you can't do that, we should then go to Mars. Mars right now is too cold for us. As the sun gets bigger and engulfs the inner planets, Mars would become a, 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 a comfortable place to live. So we're just and if that continues, <laughs> yeah, yeah. planet hop your way out, then eventually you've got to go to another uh, star system. So So we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm a very... That presumes that, oh, she gets
0: a, a telescope Yeah, she gets a telescope Oh, I love the look on your face, too You're so excited Are you, did you travel here from Brazil?
1: I'm living here now. Oh, you oh, live yeah. here
0: now, so you don't have to, to take this on a plane uh, <laughs> Thank you so uh, You're there. so welcome, signed by Dr. Tyson right there Thank you, All
1: right, thank you. So, we have to
0: I... I was told you have to go. You have to wrap in a few minutes, so I just okay. want to hit you with a couple of we we'll go speed. I'll just speed Let's up. Go, I, I fire go, questions. I can
1: go into soundbite mode. I okay, great. This. Here go. we
0: go. Half-cast podcast on Twitter. The real question is, what percentage of humans would try to have sex with an alien? <laughs> in, the, be, be honest.
1: Be honest. I am stupefied every time I learn what next thing people try to have sex with. <laughs>
0: Like the cover Without reference of this, to aliens.
1: The, the, the cover
0: of this book is right. so
1: tactile. So. Um, Go to him. I, where there's a hole, there's a way. I, I, <laughs> I, say? I don't know. Okay. All right.
0: Oh, this is from Tony Ho was here on Twitter. I've never heard this question before, and I love this question. What does the sun smell like?
1: Oh, yeah. So, um... <laughs> that's a great, That's one of the greatest questions I've ever heard in my life. Uh, if you go there to smell the sun... Yes. And then someone else comes behind you to get your account... Yeah. They will smell... The vaporized <laughs> remains of your body. Okay? Uh, yeah. So, the, the sun is just hydrogen and helium. So, hydrogen is... You can't smell hydrogen. You can't smell helium. So. So it's not. It's nothing? Yeah, it's 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 nothing. There's some trace elements, but they're very trace. Yes. The sun is not very dense in its outer surfaces. So yeah, hydrogen. It, it's it's and helium is inert. Yeah. So no, uh, you can't smell the sun. And that will not be your first thought when you were that close <laughs> to the sun. Well, <laughs> oh, I thought I'd smell something. <laughs> Done. Done. Uh, what's your favorite time travel movie? I. You know. Allow me to say this. Please. I've got to say, Bill and Ted. I've excellent choice yeah. for an excellent adventure. excellent adventure. Just, it was so innocent and so honest, and it didn't try to overthink it. And so, you got I got to give props to them, and all the historical figures they brought back. They could have spoken English, and you would have not have faulted the film. But they each <laughs> spoke in their native languages and did not translate. Yeah. Beethoven spoke German. Uh, Joan of Arc spoke French. So I'm pretty but- sure Socrates had a British accent, Neil. <laughs> I'm pretty sure how that's how that works. Socrates spoke... spoke- Socrates, Socrates.
0: <laughs> Socrates spoke They keep talking about making another Greek. one. They okay, go. About making another one. Okay. Um, I, I was reading an article about, uh, because there was obviously a lot of these, you know, Elon will throw something out kind of casually and go... Are we oh.
1: first-name basis with Elon Musk. Yeah,
0: right. Yes, uh, okay. uh, He just wants to know what this thing humans call love is. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Uh, so you know he'll say like oh you know it's pop maybe reality is a simulation. I just read an article about is it you know is it possible is, is the is the unifying is the unified field theory essentially because uh, explained by the idea that maybe we are two dimensional information that is uh, three dimensional information that is imprinted on a two dimensional field. Uh, when you see things like this, do you just feel like oh that's like when someone has a new like. Uh, Like, ab workout thing. Like, it's another trend. It's a thing that people are talking about now. Or do you appreciate it? Yeah,
1: if there's no data, then it's an exploration of the mind. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just don't take it too, too seriously. Don't sell your home and, you know, move to somewhere else based on this information. So there's a lot of fun ideas that are out there. And if they don't pan out in the real world that makes beautiful content for science fiction about whether we're not in a simulation, that one is hard to argue out of. Sure. Because, uh, and this has been around for a while, and Elon Musk, when he mentioned it, everyone said, oh my gosh, look what Musk said. The people have been thinking about this and writing about it for decades, at least since the late 1990s. Sure. So philosophers and the like. Um, uh, So uh, one of the notions is if you're in a Mario game, just think this through. You're in Mario. And what does Mario do? Mario runs and jumps off a cliff, but then he scurries and can come back on. Yeah, it's okay? a me, am Mario. Like Mario, right? Yeah. So, so there's laws of physics that apply in the Mario game that are different from what our experience is. That's what makes it an interestingly different world. Sure. If you're a scientist in that world, you will try to come up with the laws of physics. You jump, but you scurry your feet, you don't fall, and you come back. Uh, you jump straight up, you can jump way higher than your height. Yeah. Right? You can make your canon of the laws of physics and that will be the laws that describe that world. You can jump on the top of a turtle, but if he touches your head on and you die. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So so imagine we are that video game programmed by someone else. And the level of programming and data storage and processing power is such that they can simulate what we perceive as free will. Oh, shit. Okay? So now, (laughs) so we are conducting our lives, but some of us are curious, and we're asking, are we programmed by something else? Well, let's first find the laws that control this world. And so you have the physicist, and we have the law of gravity, and the law of motion, the law of optics, and quantum physics, and all of this. And we have chemistry, which is built on the physics. And we have biology that is built on the chemistry. And we have our law. And the programmer saying, oh, they figured that out. Good for them. Okay? By the way, you guys are getting kind of boring. I have to stir the pot now. And they th- throw in a world war or a politician that's, that, that disrupts equilibrium for their own damn entertainment. Sure. The point is, if we, under our free will, fully programmed by an alien superintelligence, if we then program worlds on the computers in our worlds... Then it's worlds all the way down. And if that's the case, if you throw a dart, which world are we most likely in? The one real world that started it or the nested, simulated worlds that are all the way down? There's a whole Rick
0: and Morty episode devoted to that very (laughs) idea. Uh, As we're wrapping this out, uh, I, I like to ask people, like, oh, you know, share a piece of wisdom, a motto, something that you live by, something that you believe in. So it can be something general or or maybe something that speaks to, you know, how do we foster curiosity in other humans? How do we continue to live in search of truth, in search of knowledge? Is there anything that you want to share?
1: Two things. Uh, There are people who are in search of meaning Mm -hmm. in life. Often religion plays an important role to them in this regard. For me, I think meaning is not something that you search for and find under a rock or behind a tree. Meaning... Is something you create in your life for yourself and for others. And when you do that, then you realize you have much more control over your happiness and over your fulfillment than you might have otherwise admitted to yourself if you're spending your life searching for meaning. And for me, I get meaning by each day. I try to learn something today that I didn't know yesterday. I also try to lessen the suffering of others into in, to whatever was with with is within my power and I'm talking about completely d- redirecting my life to do so others have done that mother Teresa people who are known for their for such work but if you can lessen the suffering of someone else today a little bit just do it what is it how much does it set you back all right if that were infused into all of our society you learn a little more tomorrow than today Help everybody out a little. Don't require favors to be returned back to you. Send it forward. Oh, my gosh. What a world this would be. And here's, I will leave you with this one thought. And my sister has this written on her notes. In case I die and no one knows how I should be buried. You're going to bury me so that my molecules can be dined upon by flora and fauna, such as what I have dined upon my entire life. I will not... Send my the energy content of my molecules up in smoke in a uh, in a what do you call it when crematorium you, uh, crematorium. Uh, you can do that, and that energy is still there, but it's not available to anything else. You want to be a part of the you. carbon cycle. You want to be a part for me. Bury me, so that I can rejoin the cycle of life that I had so exploited. Um, in death, I can. I in death, I can. Join the cycle of life just as I have exploited it in life. And, and on my tombstone, I want to quote from Horace Mann, great educator from a century ago. Be ashamed to die until you have scored some victory for humanity. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for not just being such a wonderful educator. And a good guy, and by the way, Neil will give you his number, and if you, if you get snowed in at the train, he'll, he'll stay with him. But this is Los Angeles, you're not getting snowed in That's why I thought it was yeah. safe. Uh, but, uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure to, to be your friend these last few years, and, and also, thank you so much for coming here and always being so open and always, you know, I think you've done pretty much everything that I've almost ever worked on, and I've really, really enjoyed uh, getting to know you, and I just, I want you to know how much that means well, to Kristen, me. Well,
1: Christian, stay out there. I think you're, you're a patron saint of fandom. Uh, of geek fandom, and so you're you're the conduit between the fan and the substance that's out there, and that's and you're not just an empty shell with a pretty face. You're <laughs> no, you do your homework, and you could you could talk smack like the rest of them. And that's, <laughs> there aren't that. many talk show hosts who can do that, so it means you're the real the real thing, and people know this, and that's why you have the following you do. So well, I appreciate that. You, you anointed on me show.
0: once as a. A real honest-to-goodness nerd, and that is a badge of honor. Neil grass Tyson has been on the show. Uh, watch Star Talk on Nat Geo. Listen to the Star Talk podcast and the book is Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Uh, also, always check in with us at Talking on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Find out who's going to be on the show. How you can be a part of it. Thank you so much. Stay curious. Uh, listen to Neil. Listen to other people. Find out. You know, like facts are not uh, subjective.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Science is not a liberal
0: conspiracy. It is. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, you guys, thank you so much. I'm Chris Hardwick on the tweets and the at on the tweets, the Instagrams. Also, please don't text and drive. Please don't do that. There is evidence that suggests that it is very dangerous. All right, thanks so much. Bye bye. And that's not just a hypothesis, that is a theory. That is my theory.
1: Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
0: I feel like I was blindsided because it's a competition show. They will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million.
1: 200
0: thousand dollars not
1: million. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting.
0: Daisha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites.
1: I have yeah. diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into?
0: The GOAT. Stream free on Amazon Freeview or Prime Video.